Now, our Bible reading this morning is a series of readings interspersed throughout our talk, uh, and uh, I want us just to uh, think uh, as we begin a new series about our vision. Have we gone on automatic pilot? Uh, Do we know what our vision is? And some of you are newer and maybe haven't even seen this document. Some of us may have lost the document down the back of the fridge, uh, and some may wonder just what it's all about. But uh, I'm really excited to begin the second of the three years of this vision for 2014 to 2017. And so over the next couple of months uh, in our morning service, I want to concentrate on refreshing our thinking and our uh, understanding of the vision that we have for the church. And before we do that, let's, let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would fill our hearts with a sense of you this morning, that whatever our vision is written on a piece of paper, our heart may be, that you would reveal yourself to us, be real to us, and that you would help us to live authentic Christian lives in the community that would draw people to Jesus that we would be disciples who make disciples. But grant your blessing on us as we think together this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So, over the last year or so, I've heard many comments about the vision. Uh, Some have said, yeah, it's great. Some have said, don't really know what it is. Some have said, oh, I had a copy of it, but uh, just like the bookmark earlier, maybe I've got drop down the back of the fridge. Maybe you need to pick up a copy today. There are copies in the vestibule table, or if you're newer, you need to get a copy uh, to see it. I hope that over the next weeks, uh, indeed over the next couple of months, just as we look at things like our inspiration this morning and our values, uh, uh, that we begin to just sense what God is doing in our midst and how we can be part of what he's doing. God primarily calls us to live as his children. And that may not be wonderfully expressed in this vision for a very good reason, because we understand that we should know what it is to live as God's children. Maybe you remember a series I did in church some time back, looking at all the one another's of Scripture, love one another, support one another, encourage one another, build one another up. And we have looked at that sense of what it is to be the children of God. And then the question arises that when we have that understanding what it is to be God's family, what does God call us to do? It is said that mission is at the heart of God. In the Old Testament, he sent prophets to declare his word and his commands. Prophets spoke with the authority of God, thus said the Lord. And people listened or didn't listen to what the prophets of God said. And in the New Testament, we understand that Jesus came as the very express image of God, so that everything that Jesus said is the Word of God to us. And so with the death of Jesus, his resurrection, his ascension, and our understanding that he will one day return, what does he want the church to do in between his ascension and his second coming? 
Well, this is our inspiration, Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20. And as I read these words, I want you to not go on automatic pilot, thinking these words are so very familiar. These are the last words of Jesus virtually. These are his expressions of will, his last will and testament to the church. This is what's at the heart of what Jesus wants for his people. Therefore, verse 19, go and make disciples. Don't stay, but go and make disciples of whom? Of all nations. It's not just for us, it's for the whole world. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, the triune God, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Teach my words. This is our inspiration that has given us a vision for Orangefield that if you read the document, you'll see our vision is that we would be a growing, worshiping Christian community equipped to follow Jesus daily and minister in his name to serve him as disciples making disciples. So I'm to concentrate today and over the next couple of Sundays on what we call in our vision document our values. And in that values section, the first thing that we read is this. As an evangelical church, we are father-focused, Christ-centered, and spirit-sensitive. We need to unpack that. But before I get to what it means to be father-focused, which is our our morning's uh, thinking, I want to spend a little time on that phrase that you may have read but skipped over and about which I think we need to understand something. What does it mean to say that we are an evangelical church? Uh, And sometimes we get our terminology mixed up uh, and we talk about Uh, evangelical, meaning a kind of meeting or something like that. Well, listen to Derek Tidbull in his book, Who Are the Evangelicals? And I quote from him when he says this, the word evangelical comes from the Greek word for good news, which takes us to the heart of the matter. Evangelicals are gospel people. The gospel simply means good news. Evangelicalism is the movement associated with the gospel. He then goes on to quote John Stott, who said that there were two major distinguishing marks of those who claimed to be evangelical. Let me tell you this before, but I had the great privilege one time of uh, entertaining John Stott for an afternoon. Uh, And uh, when you have probably the foremost uh, theologian that the United Kingdom has produced in the 20th century, what do you do when you have him for a whole afternoon? Well, I spoke to him about some issues that were controversial, and he listened to me ever so graciously. And then he said, I know exactly who you've been reading. And -and so-and-so's right when they say this, but they neglected that, and they're wrong when they say that because they should have gone there. And I I really wished I'd asked him about birdwatching because he was a a uh, well-noted twitcher, a very experienced and uh, good bird watcher. But John Stott, who 
has had that major impact on theology, not only in the United Kingdom, but through the Western world and beyond into Africa and other parts of the world, really said that in terms of those who claim to be evangelical, there are two major distinguishing marks. The first is that the Bible is the supreme authority for faith and practice. And the second is the belief that the good news, the gospel, is all about the cross of Christ and the rescue that it provides for those who are perishing in sin. So if you want a kind of thumbnail sketch of what it is to be evangelical, it's to believe that the Bible is the Word of God and to believe that the good news is that God rescues sinners. Now, within this thinking, we can, of course, be aware that there are many strands. But it may be worth pointing out that there's a difference between evangelicalism and fundamentalism. And Orangeville has never been a church attracted to fundamentalism. We have been blessed. Our first minister, the late Malcolm Park, for 34 years, was followed by David Johnson, who... Uh, was a, a man who ministered in the Belfast City Mission with a heart for the gospel, and then myself for the last 30 years. This is a church that has that evangelical tradition without being fundamentalist. Uh, and it isn't the place to try and tease out what fundamentalism means, but it might be helpful to quote from Derek Tidbill again, and I quote, Fundamentalists interpret the Bible literally. Evangelicals recognize the need for working at its interpretation and giving place both to its cultural context and the form of language it uses, such as metaphor, poetry, and symbol, end quote. There are many things that we could say in this. Fundamentalists believe that the authorized version of the Bible is the only version of the Bible that you should use. Uh, and uh, they kind of forget that it was originally written in Hebrew and Greek and that it was only because King James authorized a version of the Bible to be translated that became known as the King James Authorized Version. And as a wise old lecturer uh, said to us in college, all all, uh, 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 interpretation, what's the word I'm looking for, all translation involves interpretation. So we believe that the Bible is not necessarily the King James Version, though it still has great uses and value. So that may confuse you a little bit, but we're saying that Orangefield has, over the past 75 years, sat within that evangelical tradition of the church. And if there's stuff about that that you don't understand or want to uh, communicate with me, talk to me personally, or email me something and I'm happy to clarify for you. So as an evangelical church, we are, first of all, father-focused. The Old Testament has surprisingly very few references to God as a father. He is called the father of Israel, but only 15 times in all of that Old Testament is God described as the father of a particular individual. The teaching of the fatherhood of God takes a dramatic upturn in the teaching of Jesus. For father was his favorite term for God. After all, he is the son of the father. Commentators point out that 
the term Father appears in the teaching of Jesus some 65 times in the four Gospels. And John in his Gospel and in his writing uses the word Father over a hundred times. Of course, you have heard many times from this pulpit and not just in my ministry that Jesus' contemporaries were scandalized at the way Jesus addressed God and said that we, as his followers, could address God. Let's look at a couple of uh, verses, one from the teaching of Jesus and one from Paul. Mark chapter 14 uh, and verse 36. And this is what Jesus is able to say. He comes to pray in Gethsemane, and he prays, Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. He called his God and Father, Abba, Father. And then look at the teaching of Paul as he writes to the church in Galatia, Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6. And uh, whenever you read in the New Testament uh, a a gender-specific title like sons or whatever, it includes, shall we say, uh, daughters as well. Because you are sons and daughters, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out Abba, Father. I want to try and clarify something about this term that we use, Abba, to describe God. Abba is an Aramaic word that was a childish term used for father that we would loosely translate daddy or maybe even dada. So why do we not make the habit of praying to God as our daddy? Simply because Jesus and the early church always coupled Abba with Pater or Peter, another word for father. And it's as if Jesus is saying something like this, dearest father. It is a term of endearment, but also a term of respect. And because the early church, through the example of Jesus, coupled Abba with another word for father, we are to remind ourselves that to pray to God is a wonderful personal thing. He is our Father. He is, in a, in a very loose sense, our Daddy. But we always use that term of respect, Abba, Father. He is also not only the God with whom we have a familial relationship, the one we can relate to as our dearest Father, but never ever forget he is our Father in heaven, infinite in power, infinite in splendor and glory. So that relationship is never to be taken flippantly or for granted. And yet we know that as a Father, God takes delight in us as his children. So that's why that term, Abba, though it means Daddy, is something that we don't really use in our prayers. But it denotes that warmth of fellowship Dearest Father, that we can pray to God. So I want to very briefly share six things that we need to remember about God as our Father. Now, for some people, relating to God as Father can be a negative thing because of experience that they had growing up at home. I was always very grateful for a good relationship with my father. He taught me to do a lot of different things. He taught me to hunt and to shoot and to fish. He taught me, well, he tried to teach me how to work in car engines, and I was just totally useless at it. But he shared his life with me 
uh, and he enabled me to do things that without him I might never have been able to do. But some people have a negative experience of Father. Well, the first thing that we want to look at this morning is that our Father loves us. Now, that may seem a very uh, uh, kind of automatic thing to say. It may seem to be something that uh, we know only too well. But look at John chapter 17 and verse 23. These are the words of, of Jesus, John 17 and verse 23. And uh, again, as I say, this is the prayer of the Son. If you look at John chapter 17, it's an amazing record of how Jesus spoke to his heavenly Father. And in verse 23, he says this, uh, I in them, that is Jesus saying, he is in us as his children, and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Oh, goodness, this is familiar stuff, but it is mind-blowing. This is the eternal Son of God, co-eternal, co existent with God the Father and the Spirit in eternity, equal in power and splendor and glory. This is God himself speaking, and he says to his heavenly Father that he loves us even as he has loved his Son, Jesus. You cannot get any higher love than that. Our Father loves us. And then we discover, secondly, that our Father provides for us. One of the challenges of living in a materialistic age is that the temptation is to believe that life is all about us providing food and clothing and shelter. And yet in the wonderful discourse in Luke chapter 12, Jesus reminds us of what it is to live as his disciples to live without worry or without fear. Luke chapter 12 and verses 22 and 23, first of all. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Hang on a minute. Is it really? You know, so much of our Pressing in in life is to provide food and clothing for ourselves and our dependents and our loved ones. But Jesus says life is more than food and the body more than clothes. You really need to look at the rest of that discourse in chapter 12. But let me uh, pull you on to verses 30 and 31. For the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need them world outside runs after getting more money, getting more stuff, getting food on the table. And Jesus says for your, his followers, we are to be a little bit different. We are to people who 
understand that our Father knows that we need them. And here is the promise. Seek his kingdom and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek his kingdom. My father went through a very difficult time. Some of you heard me speaking of this before. He went through a time where literally the business that he had was uh, stolen from him and uh, things were very, very difficult. There was a time when I was told that I would have to leave school. Uh, I was in sixth form in Sullivan and uh, I was told I would uh, have to leave school. Uh, We'd have to sell the family car. We'd have to cut off the telephone that we just couldn't survive because business had gone kaput. And we proved that because my father was a man who loved God and put him first, that everything that we needed was supplied. I can testify to that over the years. And yet we have such a worry and dependency. I know so many people, and they spend loads of money on the lottery. I go into a paper shop sometimes on a Saturday, and I was in behind a man uh, one time, and, and he said, give us 50 pounds of tickets for the lottery, love. Well, not to me, he didn't say that. But. <laughs> and I thought, is he spending 50 pounds a week on the lottery? Because he's got no sense of a God who will provide what he needs, and everybody would love to win the lottery, wouldn't they? Oh, God says, I am a father who provides for my children because I love you. Will you have that call to faith that says, trust God for all that you need. Seek first my kingdom, said Jesus, and its righteousness. All these things that you need. And we often say, no, it's a cliche that God provides our needs, not our greeds. But all that you need will be provided. Our Father provides for us. And the third thing is that our Father protects us. Now, I quite often, visiting people in hospital, quote these words. And uh, I've told you very often that if I had nothing of the Bible except Uh, a a number of chapters of John's gospel, I'd be very happy. Because in these verses and in later teaching, John, through uh, chapters 11 and 12 and 13 and 14, Jesus says some incredible things. Uh, And he is the one who protects us. Listen to what he says. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Do you know a wonderful thing about sheep? I never knew until a few years ago, every sheep's face is as individual as human fingerprints. I find that incredible. Every sheep's face looks exactly the same to me. Uh, Funny beady eyes and a, a funny face. But every sheep is known by God the Father. I know my sheep. And they follow me and I give them eternal life. And listen to these next verses. You see, eternal life is a gift. You can't earn it. You can't inherit it. You can't deserve it. But it is given by Jesus. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Now, Jesus also said, don't fear those who can 
harm the body in this life, but rather him who has the power as to whether to send us to heaven or to hell. But he says, you will never perish, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. What an amazing promise of Jesus that he is the one who protects us. I know my sheep and they will never, never perish. And then, fourthly, our Father forgives us. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 6 and uh, verses um, 14 to 15. Here is probably one of the most incredibly important understandings of what God is all about. Matthew 6 uh, and 14. If you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Wow. This is an incredible, incredible thing. And I guess we need to understand that in the context of the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our trespasses or our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. You see, God is a forgiving Father, but He expects us to be like Him, forgiving people. If you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. This morning we said thank you to two very faithful members of staff. And over 30 years in this congregation, the most incredible time I had was, I think, around about 1999. I went through a period of struggle where I could not get a sermon. Uh, And very often I stood up on a Sunday morning without a clue what I was going to say, and it was a terrible experience. And it came to midnight one night, I was in the bathroom on the way to bed, and I heard a little voice in my head saying, you can't preach that tomorrow. And I said, Lord, not again, I can't stand this. The nervous tension was terrible. And I believe that God gave me a word that day on the prodigal son, and he said to me, I want you to call people to come forward uh, and uh, to pray. Uh, And he said to me, it seemed that the story of the prodigal son so well known was a story that we often associate with those who uh, kick over the traces and rebel and run away from home and family and from God and everything. But it seemed to me that God was saying, there are prodigals in my church sitting every Sunday, but they might as well be in a distant place, a far-off place. Uh, and there were, I didn't go into it, it's a long story, but uh, it's the time when Dave McCarthy was our associate minister. I really appreciated Dave's counselor rang him and said, you know, I haven't the ability to call all the elders and say, come and, and pray with people. And Dave McCarthy said this to me, he said, Ken, if you do it and it falls flat, you learn a lesson for the future. And if you don't do it, you might miss out on what God has for you. And that day we saw so many people coming forward. 
And not just that, but people sitting in the seats, praying with one another. Listen, our Father forgives us. And there's some of you I know have problems with forgiveness. There's some of you I know, and I'm one of them, who have problems forgiving people who have hurt us. And there's some of us I know have problems believing that God can forgive me. Our Father forgives us, and He calls us to trust Him. And the fifth thing is that our Father listens to us. Let's go to an Old Testament quotation. Let's think of Isaiah 65 and verse 4. Before they call, I will answer. While they're still speaking, I will hear. I find that encouraging and challenging. Last Sunday night in our group on prayer, one of our participants, I'll not name him, but he's sitting here this morning, said, I don't think unanswered prayer is the right terminology to use. Now, I'm paraphrasing the the, the gentleman. Because he said, we think of prayer as having three answers, yes, no, and not yet. There's no such thing as unanswered prayer. But there may be that delay that makes it seem to us as if God is not answering prayer. And yet here's this promise of God, the Father, before they call, I will answer. God is already working on the situation. While they're still speaking, I will hear. Our Father is a listening Father. And then finally, our Father calls us to Himself. John chapter 6 and verses 44 to 45. No one can come to me, said Jesus, unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is God the Father who calls people to himself. It is God the Father who calls people to Jesus. It's God the Father who calls people to faith because it's the Father's will that none should perish, but that all should know salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ. So our Father loves us. He provides for us. He protects us. He forgives us. He listens to us. And He calls us to Himself. We are a Father-focused church. I'm going to ask our music team, to come back up on the platform. We're going to be singing a song of response in a moment, but as uh, the music begins, I want to lead us in prayer. And I want to remind you of prayer ministry and the opportunity just to come and have people pray with you. Maybe about picking up an understanding of what it is to see God as our Father. Maybe that there's some negativity depending on the fathers we had when we were younger. Maybe just having to try and understand some of those six things. But let's close our eyes and pray, uh, and let's come to God in response. And in this time of prayer, I'll maybe in a moment or two give you a moment of quiet when you can simply make your own response. Let me pray with you. Oh God, our Father in heaven, How much more than a good human father do you love us as your children? 
How can we begin to understand the depth and the breadth and the height of your great love for us? Your desire to be a father to all who would accept your son, Jesus. Your desire to make each one of us co-heirs of salvation, even with Jesus, your son, that you make us his younger brothers and sisters in your family. And so we praise you this morning that we may call you Abba, Father, dearest Father. We praise you that as our Heavenly Father, you love us. You provide for us. You protect us. You forgive us. You listen to us. And above all, you call and draw us back to yourself. Would you forgive us if we are like the prodigal son? And we've been backpedaling in our faith, running away from you, running away from others. Would you forgive us if we're like the elder brother in that story, bound by legalism, bound by duty, and bound by gracelessness? Oh, forgive us, Lord, if we've had a wrong view of you. And help us this day to respond to your love. And just in this moment of quiet, perhaps you would make that response to God that he wants you to make. It may be asking forgiveness. It may be saying, Lord, I need a shift in my thinking and my understanding that I might become more father-focused. It may be a shift in our understanding that we can truly call this King of kings and Lord of lords, creator, sustainer of the universe, dearest Father. Just take a moment of quiet to make your response to God. Oh God, we pray that you would help us to have a new sense of you in our lives. You, the Father who loves us, who gave your Son to die for us, sends to us your Spirit that he might live in us to make Jesus real, that he might live in us to empower us to live as disciples who make disciples but who are focused on the Father. Help us, Lord, to commit ourselves to being our Father's children. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.